You're listening to Dose of Depth Podcast. I'm your host, Deborah Lukovich, and I invite you to be curious about your unique experience of being human. In this podcast, we'll explore the deeper meaning of ordinary life experiences through conversation, stories, and education. You might have a serious aha moment, or you might just be amused by the movie your life seems to be imitating, or you might just be entertained by one of my awkward stories. I'm hoping you'll become more aware of those moments when a deeper part of you is prompting you to see things differently and maybe even go a new direction. So let's get started. In this episode, we're going to talk about corporations through a depth psychology lens, of course. You've probably never thought about your relationship to this unnatural entity that through a controversial Supreme Court decision referred to as Citizens United, was granted natural and inalienable individual human rights that once were not even granted to certain human beings in our country. There are lots of experts out there who have illuminated how this has wreaked havoc in all sorts of ways. But you know me, this interview is not about what is consciously known. Rather, it is a discussion about what the collective unconscious is trying to make known for its own purpose, which is also unknown. Even if you haven't thought deeply about corporations, you likely have some strong feelings about this man-made entity and quite possibly some specific companies. Your feelings may reflect a mixture of disdain, appreciation, and even hope. Since corporations exist only because they were created by human beings, they are psychological extensions of human beings. Corporations express and mirror back what wants to become conscious but is not. Corporations can be seen as a collective shadow that absorbs all sorts of projections, and their leaders can come to represent those projections or even become swept up in the archetypal energies that are seeking new expression through them and the entities they run. I never thought about the Citizens United decision as being orchestrated by Hermes, the Greek god, as trickster, but after digging into my guest research about the landmark Supreme Court opinion, I now see it as a needed wake-up call and warning to a complacent citizenry, which has projected responsibility for maintaining its rights onto what could be considered a father figure. We often must become separate from a part of ourselves to become more conscious of pieces of ourselves. And the historical context my guest research presents presupposes a kind of unconscious desire to reunite with a part of ourselves, and that this decision is part of that process. A circling back after having gained consciousness of something new. I think you're going to be even more intrigued about this topic. It's so big after my interview with Dr. Elizabeth Martin, whose research about this topic has illuminated a possible hidden agenda beneath what for many has felt to be a tragic blow to democracy. Elizabeth Martin is a seasoned executive with over two decades experience stewarding organizations and groups toward their strategic operational, and financial potential. She is a senior vice president leading strategy and innovation for Optum Serve, the federal health services business of both Optum and United Health Group. In this role, Martin works to modernize the American healthcare system, advance quality care, and empower patients to take ownership of their healthcare experience. Elizabeth is licensed to practice law in both New Mexico and Texas. She is an attorney, former CEO of a $430 million managed care company and business consultant specializing in operational management and systems building. 
Elizabeth received her law degree from Boston College, her business degree from Creighton University, and a PhD in cultural psychology from Pacifica Graduate Institute. As you can see, Elizabeth has been intimately involved with corporate entities, and her research makes her a perfect voice on how to explore, gain insights, and integrate the unconscious aspects of our relationship with the corporate structure that are seeking consciousness. Oh, and Elizabeth is another one of my PhD buddies. We are in the same cohort at Pacifica to secure our master's PhD degrees in depth psychology. So let's get started. So welcome, Elizabeth. How is your summer going or your week or your day or what's going on in your life right now? Oh, Deb, it's so great to see you. <laughs> you know, with, I think with COVID and not being in physical proximity to one another, uh, my summer is going great. You've just made it more great uh, by having this conversation today. So thank you. It's great to see you. Um, so first question to ease people in. As depth psychologists, we are often amused with how psyche orchestrates events meant to lead us towards consciousness. I think your background is super interesting, and I was wondering if you could share a little bit of your story and how you were called to Pacifica, our school, and what prompted you to research the Citizens United Supreme Court opinion as a psychological image to explore. It's, it's a great question. I wouldn't necessarily put amusement and Citizens United in the same sentence, but uh, we'll see where we, we get uh, at the end of this call. Um, so great question. I think I've always, similar to you, just been moved by curiosity in life. Why do people do what they do? Why do I do what I do sometimes? Um, I think in, in an attempt to understand that, I went into business. Um, Business, I think, is interesting because it's a microcosm of the greater macrocosm of culture. Power imbalances there, our insecurities are there, issues with confidence are there. Business is an interesting petri dish in which you can really sort of learn different aspects of life and how people show up. And from there, I sort of rounded out that circle in studying law. I'm an attorney by nature. It's curious in how people relate, how people argue, how people compromise. Um, and then all of that got packaged in an interesting place. And in the late 90s, I actually suffered a catastrophic brain aneurysm, which I wouldn't recommend. But what was so critical about that is I think I was book smart in understanding curiosity in how people work. But I hadn't quite figured out a way to feel my way into those experiences. And so it took that event to actually put my brain on hold for a bit and feel my way into mm. all those spaces in between of how people show up. And because of that, a whole new landscape opened up and it needed a new language. It was something that I, I, I didn't have, I hadn't learned in school. And so ultimately it led me to Pacifica. I was seeking a new language mm. to describe what I was feeling and what I was seeing. And I think the words of Carl Jung, and depth psychology in general and Pacifica and where we met, it, 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 it was the final piece that brought it all together. So what does it have to do with Citizens United? Well, I think there's the opinion of Citizens United as a Supreme Court opinion, but the image of it, what it encompasses, what motivates us as citizens, as consumers, with our jobs, power differentials, our nation, our environment, all of that is baked into that opinion. So it seemed to me 
an ideal image of where to merge not only my innate curiosity for how people are in the world and who they are in the world, but also how we come together. Um, and then this blend of depth psychological language, it's all in that opinion. Oh, I love it because I think many of us found Carl Jung at a moment of crisis, whether it was many people are like, oh, when I got divorced, I was going through my divorce. I found Carl Jung or when I was going through, like, I can't stand working in the corporate sector anymore. I, all of a sudden Carl Jung was there. And you point to something that Carl Jung is all about, which really is a balance between the masculine and the feminine. So, and especially mm -hmm. as women, we have really learned how to be really good at the masculine, the intellect, the linear thinking, the goal orientation and that sort of thing. So, you know, and there hasn't been, what is the language of the feminine? It's not straightforward. It's not direct. It's paradox. It's like, oh, can that be true? And that be true. And it's mysterious. So I love that. I love how you worked that in and how your experience is like a living example of Carl Jung's theory. So um, this reminds me back uh, in our second quarter of kind of a funny story, but it's really about this, like follow the energy. Um, you might remember that during a residential visit, or maybe you don't, because it was just, oh my God, I felt like I came out of the closet, but it was during Susan Rowland's class and we were sharing ideas for papers and, and I was pretty shy and I was so embarrassed to say that I wanted to write about what I called the 50 shades of gray phenomenon. And, but it was the range of emotional reactions that was intriguing to me. It wasn't even really the story. I had never even read the book until I listened to people talk about it. So when I came out of the closet, um, I'll never forget Dr. Roland saying, well, I suggest you follow the energy. And sure enough, there were things that wanted to become conscious. So it's like psyche or psyche tries to seduce us in a way, or even trick us into following something, but we don't know why, which of course makes perfect sense because what wants to become conscious is unknown to us. So I love how it was the emotional reactions that were what tipped you off. So first to ease my listeners into the depth journey that we're going to take, I think it would be good for you to offer a little education about the opinion that we refer to as Citizens United and why it is perceived to be so destructive to democracy. And what I was really interested in is this uh, concept of incongruencies. And then maybe a little historical context related to the corporate structure as well, because I was also so intrigued by so much of what I read in your dissertation. But this, my feeling that, you know, that there used to be this sort of sense of community agreement about the purpose and the expectations about benefits that were to be achieved via this corporate entity. So. Sure. Uh, as I said, Citizens United in some ways is um, it's a cultural gift that keeps on giving. And you're absolutely right, right? The charge, the reaction to the opinion uh, is its tell. There's a lot to unpack there. So Citizens United is a 2010 United States Supreme Court opinion. And what it did, it, it granted inalienable constitutional protections to corporations, meaning it made corporations U.S. citizens for all intents and purposes, but for the right to vote. It also determined that their spending, corporate spending, was a form of free speech to be protected under the federal constitution as a natural right one of the First Amendment rights, but a natural right. And when I say natural right, that means human right. 
it's these type of inalienable protections that are present in all our founding documents as part of our nation uh, that are typically endowed by one's creator at birth and relatively free of human interference and manipulation. So on the surface, sort of when you take that in, it's really quite shocking. Like many of the nation's founding principles, the Citizens United opinion is a classic example of it says one thing. I'm holding up the First Amendment right for free speech, but it means something mm. completely different. Um, so it upholds our fundamental First Amendment right, but does so by actually diluting it. Mm. It offers the right to free speech to inanimate corporations, protecting their speech, even though they have no physical voice, making them citizens, even though they're not human, endowing them with natural rights, even though they were never naturally born. This is what I mean about incongruencies. It's like, well, what is going on? But the opportunity with an incongruence like that, when you say something different than what you mean, is that it opens up the possibility of other perspectives to come in. And, and this is where I think the history of corporations is really, uh, really interesting. Corporations, um, the, the Citizens United opinion pictures at the end of the opinion that corporations are citizens with the right to free speech. It's actually not too far off than how they started 2000 years ago in Rome. Mm. Rome invented the first corporation. The root of the word corporation is corpus. It's the human body. They were created as extensions of human beings. They were imaged and shaped and created to specifically serve human and community need at scale, to deliver food, to deliver water, aqueducts. Mm. And because of that, they were limited in number, closely regulated, and they had to prove that they were in the public interest. Those were fundamental requirements. So in short, corporations were created um, by humans in the human image and fashioned as tools or extensions um, for us to, to be accountable to our greatest needs. So it's an interesting history and what ultimately the opinion ends up imaging at the end of it. Wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, I never knew that. And as you, oh, well, and it also sort of confirms what you're saying. We have lost touch that we as people, human beings created this as a way to serve ourselves. And it's sort of, that's been turned on its head where it feels more like yeah. we are serving the corporation. Um, I think this is really valuable for people. This is not something I learned in business school. I went to business school, studied finance. I never learned about the origin of the corporate structure. Thank you so much already. I think people are going to just be wowed by this. Um, one of the four lenses you used to explore this topic was archetypal psychology, which was founded by James, James Hillman. I was never personally a natural when it came to having a mythic sensibility. It's like really difficult for me to understand the myths, but over time, my capacity to call a myth to explore the material that emerges from my unconscious is growing. And so I'm more interested in this. Could you talk about how the Promethean myth helps us, as you say, reorient our current view of corporations 
And then maybe begin with like a general, you know, high level or overview of the myth and what's relevant about the myth and then how you worked with it to explore our relationship with corporations. And then, and then after that, I love how you also touch on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which that for sure is going to be more um, familiar for people. And maybe you can, you know, talk a little bit about how you worked with that story. And uh, for sure, my listeners are going to get a crash course and sort of how to work with symbol and metaphor and how to integrate it into considering what this opinion really means for us, because I think we're all kind of just struggling right now. We, we do need a new way to look at things. So, so yeah, so the Promethean myth and then uh, Frankenstein. Sure. Let me, let me explain it this way. And it's probably because I am a lawyer that it, that it was interesting how Prometheus came into this thought part and as well as Frankenstein in the law. I mean, if anybody's watched television with a legal show, we, we know that this concept called precedent matters, that those things that happened before actually inform what's currently going on today. So as a lawyer, I take an oath to be faithful to the letter and spirit of the law in, in all my affairs. So if I'm going to look at a Supreme Court opinion, such as Citizens United, it means I also have to look at other Supreme Court opinions that came before Citizens United, because past is prologue. How did those cases inform it? That's what we mean by precedent. As a deaf psychologist, our work is not all that different. It's just we use precedent that stretches back to the beginning of time, back to millennia, looking at those ideas and images and patterns in human experience, the psyche that precede and influence and shape our existence. And this is where the Promethean myth and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein actually comes in. These are classic stories, but they are also the psychological precedent of Citizens United. Mm. Both stories take something divine, if you will. Prometheus stole fire from the gods and gave it to humans. Frankenstein co-ops from lightning, the gift of life, the spark of the divine, and creates a creature. So both take something that is considered divine and bestow it to those unworthy. This is the same genetic composition that's in Citizens United that takes an inalienable right, a natural right endowed to every human by virtue of their birth and hands it over to corporations, entities that some of us would perceive as unworthy. But the connections don't stop there. So the fire that Prometheus steals from the gods it's considered in myth to be the basis of all human creativity. And the mm. myths ultimately, whether it's James Hillman or, or anyone who sort of takes myths seriously, these were stories that reflected externally the internal dynamics going on in our human psychology. So these stories, there's something about Prometheus stealing this spark of the divine and giving it to non-gods, to humans. Um, and that spark of the divine, we might call that in music, it's a muse or artwork. 
um, all the way to innovation that a corporation creates, right? It all comes from humans creating these things, but the idea comes from mm. some otherworldly place. So this is the lesson of Prometheus and Frankenstein, which are the lessons of Citizens United. And if we forget that our heritage is where we get this creativity, what we do with it, how we honor it, and how we use it is critical. In fact, you could say this is where a lot of the problems start, when we don't recognize that it's not about us individually and our self-interest, but it is in service to something greater, which is what these original corporations were created to do. Oh my gosh, I love it. So not to be a spoiler alert, uh, do these myths also sort of give us some direction in what to do with, you know, where we are sort of in this process, like what, how, how, what to do next, how to, uh, how to approach this, how to look at it. Is there a, you know, is there a, a lesson in those myths that can point us in the right direction? That's, that's the good news, right? You know, the, the myths in some ways are agnostic. They can point you to what works and then what doesn't work, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think there is, you and I probably had a, a dialogue about Henry Ford. This is a perfect example because I think you had mentioned that Henry Ford was an individual and, you know, love him or dislike him. His original idea of corporations is that all profits that a company earns get channeled back in to providing housing, clothing, childcare, support for the, its workers, for the community. Well, lo and behold, his shareholders had something else to say about that. His shareholders primarily being Dodge, the Dodge brothers. Mm. The Dodge brothers were shareholders of the Henry Ford Found, uh, Corporation. And in 1919, they sued Henry Ford and they said, mm-mm, your responsibility comes to us as shareholders, not your employees. Mm -hmm. So that's that's one case, a Supreme Court opinion that was a precedent to C Citizens United. But in some ways, Henry Ford got it right. I mean, he believed in a manner quite similar to how Rome crafted these in entities, that if they served the broader good rather than the broader harm, we were all better off because they were created as extensions right. by, with, and for us. But as with everything human, um, that represents both a blessing and a curse. You know, great innovations often do get corrupted by our self-interest and power. And they're not corporate interests, they're human interests. Right, and, so. and what comes up for me, oh, I didn't know that whole story. I just latched onto this thing that I heard about Henry Ford, I'm like, Yes. And, and also, you know, I went to business school. I went to a Jesuit university. It was 1991 when I graduated. And then I went off to become a financial planner and I had hired an intern from my school. So this is maybe, maybe three years later and whoa, had business school changed. And I literally was arguing with this college student who was uh, four years younger than me about like, you know, it used to be, okay, we are, a corporation is trying to meet a need. So we're going to develop this product and, 
And because it meets a need, people are going to purchase it. And in order for it to be a quality product, that means, you know, we kind of had to treat the employees who make it decently so they can actually make a quality product. And then in the end, there's going to be profits for it. And, you know, like I said, so much had changed. And, and he said, no, 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 my professors are saying, no, the purpose of a corporation is to make profits for investors. And I was like, no, you're not right about that. And then I was like, this is a Jesuit university too. This is a Christian university that is like glomming onto this. So it's, it like, literally I can see going back in time when I came of age where there was this like more, I guess it wasn't new because it happened during Henry Ford's time, but now it became like really just, I think like accepted generally and without apology. And now today we have like human death toll because of corporate decisions. It's just like, isn't, not that it's no big deal, but it's just as accepted as a, a kind of casualty of, of doing business. So, um, yeah, it's just rote now, but it's interesting. The dissertation, I added a section. Um, and if you don't want to read anything in the dissertation, you might read chapter four because it, it walks you through the 3000 year old history of corporations and that vision of corporations serving human need at scale persisted for 2,000 mm. years. 2,000 years. This notion of being here to serve the shareholders and profit, that's only since the late 1700s. It's a relatively new concept, but we have run with it. Um, and I think that's what makes the Citizens United opinion as an image is really compelling because dipping below the surface and the charge that it engenders, the image, the holding is actually telling us to get closer to corporations, to remember that they are operating according to the genetic orders that we gave them. If they are acting against human interest, it's because we told them to. But the closer we get to this consciousness, this true reality, the better we are in enabling to temper our self-interest and our consumption and everything that fuels these entities to bring this back into balance. And it's one of the reasons why I write in the research that Citizens United, I think in really ways, is the story of us. With consciousness, we can go the way of Henry Ford. Without it, we go the way of the Dodge brothers. Mm. But ultimately we choose. Well, and I love what's coming up for me is Carl Jung's like, you know, reconciling the opposite. So there, there feels to be, and it's perceived opposites, right? So right now, like our relationship is there's this opposite. There's this overarching giant here that for so many people is, is, is separate is not an extension and we have lost the knowledge that so i love it it's like now our our task is to is to work with this is to is to reunite it's that right there's a separation and in order to have you know the and and then there's a reuniting but it's with consciousness as you say Correct. oh this is so good nobody else is talking about this um so and another thing you talk about is what's going on beneath the surface of even the justices writing. 
Um, and I love the question, quote, what other capital O authorship might be attributed to the opinion? Maybe you could talk a little bit more about that. Now we're getting deeper. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, and I think to to pick up on what you just said and, and that question, it's all relevant. As long as we stay kind of entrenched in the perspective that Citizens United or corporations are bad and corrupt, we miss the lesson, mm. right? Because it's not them, it's us. Prometheus as the archetypal forefather of Citizens United, stole fire and gave that spark of the divine to us. So any creativity or innovation that comes out of corporations today is ours. It's not theirs. Apple didn't invent the iPhone. It can't. It has no consciousness. Human beings working for Apple created the iPhone. But the more we disclaim our own creativity and we say, oh, this corporation did that, they did it, not us, the more we actually begin to disclaim a lot more the damage that corporations do that are, that's wrought by our creations. They harm the environment, not us. And with that, the greater the odds that we also disclaim something even more important. We disclaim our right to free speech. That's theirs. It's not ours. Or a woman's right to choose. That's That belongs somewhere else. It's not us. Or our very notion of citizenship. Um, so hope for the future um, rests on our ability, I think, to reclaim both the good and the bad, as Jung said, to bring consciousness to this reality. And that's what I find really fascinating about this closing image in the opinion, where we're asked to get closer to corporations. We share citizenship. We share their speech. And here's a really classic example. And when we talk about that other voice. So you can look at the Citizens United opinion, literally. It's a Supreme Court opinion that creates devastating changes um, in terms of precedent, but it also offers this image that's hearkening back to something from 3,000 years ago. If humans become closer to corporations and actually become conscious about what they're doing and what they're directing the corporations to do, change is possible. And in the research, I bring up a, a very practical outcome of that. There was a beautiful case in New Zealand where they took the very laws that have been used to shelter corporations and protect their profits, and they turned those laws on their head. And they said, you know what? If a corporation is a legal person under our laws, why can't this indigenous river that is sacred to our people be considered a person as well? Mm. And that's what I mean about bringing consciousness to it. Change can happen. And you can make that choice for the better of the community or not. So New Zealand now protects its indigenous rivers using the same laws that protects corporate profit. It's really quite remarkable. Wow. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that. And well, it makes perfect sense. But and that is the that is the new, the transcendent third that can come out of of digging into it and be and coming closer to it. And there are just words that were coming out of my unconscious 
projection because I myself have fallen into the trap about this evil sort of structure and entity. And in a way, it's like a cop out. Uh, in a right. way, now I'm only a single human being. And it is true that if I don't uh, collect, be in a collective with somebody else, there's little I can do. Right. But I also think about what's going on with workers unionizing right now. And one of their slogans and their chants is don't quit, organize. So just think about that shift, which was just quitting and how corporations could just refill, refill, refill. There was like a, a unlimited sort of pool. No, don't quit. No, we stay. And that these younger people aren't unionizing with the old unions. They are like, they're doing something yeah. different, something new. So, yeah. I think it's so, you, you talk about it, and this is how depth psychology works, right? Why we find it so magical and powerful at the same time. Once you open up perspective that you thought was entrenched, anything's possible. I often use this analogy the reason that I loved and so many people loved Ruth Bader Ginsburg and all that she did for women's rights over the course of her career was not that she was just a brilliant jurist because she certainly was that. But Ruth Bader Ginsburg, like very few in the course of human history, had the ability to imagine what was possible. And from there, she reverse engineered all the steps over the course of decades that would be needed to open up and protect women's rights, right? So it's as soon as you open up entrenched perspectives, mm -hmm. that imagination comes in and anything's possible. And like you said, in order to have a new perspective, you have to get closer to it, not further yeah. away. You can't just be like, um, fantastic. Uh, so if you've already touched on this, um, we can, uh, move on to something else, but, uh, there are a couple of your specific research findings, um, which offer ways to explore the citizens United opinion as new awareness that corporations are external expressions of internal and eternal oppositions which can become illuminated by exploring the image like we would a dream. So I think talking about the myths does that a little bit because it's like there's something going on inside of us that's being projected onto this entity and onto this situation. And one of the things that came up for me was how corporations can fill this need to have an overarching father figure. The fact that corporations are considered separate enable citizens to dodge responsibility and I've been, I came to this conclusion on my own that, and I've been writing about how being a willing consumer is giving permission to exploit others. So when I purchase and when I participate, that there are consequences to me purchasing this product. And so again, you know, I don't have to worry about like where that stuff is made or whatever it is, like, and I trust the corporation or, or whatever it is, but sort of this, um, this idea of projection and that the, the, the corporation is like this, our shadow is this collective, this collective shadow in the same section, you talk about how, according to the opinion, corporations come by their behavior naturally. 
created in the image of humans and their concrete tendencies towards self-interest. We kind of touched on this before, but this point that the corporations will maintain a similar course until their genetic orders are reconfigured toward other more tempered expressions of human behavior. So maybe talk a little bit more about that and how you see hope for this reconfiguration imaged in the opinion and alivened through depth psychological treatment. So like, I know you've touched on it, but again, to help, like this is this level of sort of exploration of this topic is new for my listeners. So go wherever you want to go with that. Thank you. Um, There's a lot in there. So let me see where I can unpack. Um, I think your, your perspective on the paternalistic quality of corporations, sort of this sort of what we call masculine sort of dominated approach, more linear thinking. Uh, versus the New Zealand case that I mentioned is a is a probably more of a not female but feminine perspective on how we might wind ourselves around it. It's a powerful one. Corporations have made our job easy because they're easy to demonize. It, it, it's hard to see who runs them. You might have a figurehead mm-hmm. like a Mark Zuckerberg, but he may be a shareholder. He is not the only one mm-hmm. of Facebook, right, or Meta. Um, so they're easy targets and that they're hard to get our arms around. They're hard to understand yet. They're always there. In fact, they're part of almost everything that we do. If you run a hairbrush in your hair in the morning, if you're sleeping on a bed, if you live in a house, if you're driving a car, a corporation touches every single aspect of your life and we mollify ourselves. So there's actually a wonderful, uh, Zizek is one of the philosophers that I quote. He's Slovenian in the in the research. And he talks about you can go into Starbucks and you can buy organic free trade coffee and you think you're doing something good for the environment. But you're still supporting this corporation (laughs) in all their corporate work and how they're impacting the environment overall. So we're doing things. We're enabling corporations while we're blaming them at the same time. Well, this is a perfect scenario for scapegoating don't we often blame those others for what we lack in ourselves and this is where i say that corporations uh really represent that perfect fall guy for us by keeping them as other and we actually enliven them you know we used to say and i write this in the research you know, corporations were just these entities. But if you look at the headlines any given day in a newspaper, Tesla thinks this, Mm. Facebook believes, right? Apple um, feels. So all of these sort of attributions that we give, these human feelings we project onto corporations and we think that there are these enlivened entities, but they're not, they're legal constructs neutral they're neutral who's giving them their orders we are and so the image right again at the end of the opinion we keep talking about this is so important because it actually reminds us psychologically that they're ours and they're only doing what we've asked them to do and they do it really Mm. well because they were created in our image Mm -hmm. oh that's so powerful 
Um, I want to talk next about this notion of neutrality in the opinion. Um, I think this has been blown up recently in case after case recently. And I, as I said to you, I'm sure you never imagined what was coming next after you did this research, but specifically the Supreme Court now very unemotionally overturning rights versus expanding rights, except those having to do with the Second Amendment uh, or the Second Amendment um, without regard for the human suffering and death toll that was warned. And that is already a consequence. It, it was sort of a known thing that was going to happen. So the neutrality in the Citizens United, United opinion and now subsequent opinions that are being handed down without, quote, you call it meaningful regard, which I think that's like a nice way of saying it. Um, but again, decisions that will cause death and suffering. So not only this sort of overturning of of precedent and the expansion of rights, but this 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 disregard for for what it does to actual human beings. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that concept of neutrality. Yeah, uh, great question. I actually talk about two forms of neutrality that I think are evident in the opinion. The first form of neutrality that I want to talk about is what I call an active form of neutrality. Um, this is a fancy way of saying it's repression. And you've talked about that in your comments, right? Just with cool disregard, claiming to be an objective jurist, uh, they are dispensing with precedent and rights, just almost clinically. It's it's kind of a cultural expression of disassociation, right? That they are saying one thing and they're pushing down the emotion and the charge that's there, that's just culturally present. And they think they're dispensing effectively, but it only comes out in public, right? In protests or the reactions to mm -hmm. these cases. But in, they're just trying to push down as much as possible and they create a surface neutrality, right? To create this idea that, oh no, we're upholding the right to free speech. We're not diluting it. I, I always feel like it's a Jedi, Jedi mind meld, right? You know, <laughs> we're not diluting it, we're upholding it. Um, but there's a different kind of neutrality at work in the opinion also. And, and this is where I circle back to the Promethean myth. Um, when Prometheus steals fire from the gods, we actually learn something from that theft. He takes it, he, he steals the fire and the creativity that it sparks, and then he gives it to humans. So theft and creativity go hand in hand. The this, this spark of the divine always comes with a theft. Mm. With that creates it's a, it's a gift, but it also opens up a whole mm. field of responsibility, which I call a neutral field. With that gift, we can either honor the divine that gave it to us, and by honoring it, holding up community, making sure that our actions serve the greater good, not our own self-interest, or we can go the way of the Dodge Brothers and absolutely prioritize our self-interest. It's both and, it's that balance again. Yeah. And in that field of possibility, which is inherently neutral, choice emerges. 
And that type of neutrality is really critical to understand out of the opinion. Is that what you mean by the bi-directional thievery and this yes. repression slash eruption? So so the the opinion or the the writers of the opinion are have disassociated are and of course they represent the collective too or a part of the collective. They've repressed something. And then it's after the opinion or the reaction to the opinion is the eruption. Correct. Okay. Exactly that. So the justices, right, they are portraying themselves as objective mm -hmm. arbiters. But the archetypal forces, the psychic forces coming through the opinion, which has nothing to do with the justices mm -hmm. who actually wrote it, what's the field that's influencing them. That's where we take as a given. Creativity and theft are two sides of the same coin. Recognizing that, we can actually bring consciousness to it. New Zealand did that. Okay. They recognized that the gifts uh, created by corporate overreach could actually be used for betterment of the environment and for their indigenous communities. Would you say that the feeling of like, ridiculous. I mean, I can't think of a better word than surreal and ridiculousness of what's going on is like this Hermes trickster oriented. Like, is this like trick the, uh, like that yeah. other, that force that's like, you know, the, what are the deeper forces that are utilizing the justices are speaking through the justices in order to be like, hello, people like wake up you can't just now go okay now the supreme court is evil that's what i want right. to do like now they're corrupt they're corrupt they're corrupt oh my gosh everything is corrupt like and then you're you have to go inward you have to and i think that's why you know we sort of come full circle to where we started sort of the curiosity around human nature mm -hmm. who we are those corrupt parts of ourselves as well as those corrupt parts of others but you talk, you asked a question earlier, you made a statement about the difference between sign and symbol. Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, a sign is something that represents, uh, is an image uh, in our head that represents something known. So when mm -hmm. I say stop sign, people immediately have that image in their head. A symbol, of course, um, is resonant, it's innately known to all of us, notions particularly like in the Supreme Court or the Constitution, liberty, freedom, um, rebirth, transformation. We, we all generally know what they mean, yet they also convey something really mysterious that you can't necessarily capture. So I think what I love so much about the Supreme Court opinion, Citizens United, and, and dare I say any Supreme Court opinion, I have yet to do the Alito opinion, but I think there's still potential there. Mm -hmm. It's both a sign and a symbol. Mm -hmm. As a sign, it's a Supreme Court opinion. This is a constitutional legal opinion that thou part of the, the law books of our nation. But it also stands for something really different and mysterious. There's this whole other thing going on that's asking us through its image to stop and go, they're not over there. Corporations are not other. They're ours. They belong to us. And 
we need to reconcile that within ourselves. If we're giving them free speech, our free speech, mm. we have to reclaim that. Um, right. They're mirroring back something for us. So would you say then in this case for my listeners, what is really making it partially a symbol is the emotion around it is the tip off that because if it was just a sign, we would be like, okay, that's what it means. But it's like this emotional charge that we don't even know how to make sense out of like the drama around, around the, I mean, look, I can't even articulate, right? So a symbol is, is something that it represents something that cannot be fully articulated and yet, and which is why we have to do the work. And like you said, reclaim instead of more separation, reclaim. And I really do love the story of New Zealand because it, it is hopeful mm-hmm. and it is, and it does represent this like transcendent third that now seems so obvious. Right. And, and I think that's, the, that's where symbols do come in, right? Because they force us to kind of cock our heads and go, wait, that doesn't make sense. What do you mean a corporation is a citizen? What do you mean they have the right to free speech? That that doesn't compute with it within our understanding. So pause there, right? Absolutely, that doesn't make sense. This is where that charge and things that appear incongruent that don't make sense mm. opens up the possibility. Because we live in a world that as we are living in, which polarized. It's this way or this way. I wish things were that binary. It's actually not. And the Citizens mm-hmm. United opinion with all of its multiple incongruencies and incongruencies around our founding documents, our constitution, mm-hmm. who we are as a, a nation, how we employ our, our workforce, what we do with all of this, it's just chocked full of potential of all these different perspectives. And if we be if we get mired in the literal mm-hmm. of the opinion itself and can't float above these stories and contextualize them in some way, then that's where hopelessness seeps in. Well, and it almost and it almost feels like for me, and I've been writing about this, that this climaxing of the division, climaxing of the dismantle, like 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 the archetypes and psyche wants something to be reborn, but it's like, this is to push us into a corner into almost like I surrender. I cannot make sense with my mind Mm -hmm. of what's going on. So how do I, but the challenge and, you know, this is the role I'm trying to play is what is the framework for working with the symbolism and the metaphor and the emotional charge when we've so been, you know, trained to only make sense out of our mind. And if we can't make sense out of our mind, then we maybe check out some check out or some get pushed. Like often people who have a final breakdown, they become enlightened after they've surrendered. And they said, "I, I give up, but I don't give up in a way that, you know, some give up and maybe they, they do harm to themselves. This is, I give up. And then there's a doorway. Mm-hmm. There's an opening for the spark, for the spark, the divine spark to come in and say, ah, this is a new way to think about this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you want to? Yeah, I think it, you're exactly right. I mean, we live in these 
just incredibly overwhelming times, mm -hmm. right? Where things and opinions like Citizens United, opinions like we've seen in this recent uh, Supreme Court term, just don't make sense. Um, and we can get defeated, right? You know, mm -hmm. we're, <laughs> they're handed down. We feel like it's happening to us. I think the point of this research and actually why I used the method of dreams, we all dream, right? We all, it, it's an equal opportunity tool that any of us can pick up. And the key is, is to don't fall for it. Don't fall for what's in it, go deeper. It's not only what this opinion is saying or what the Supreme Court said in this term, but what's being imaged about us and why? And then what can we learn from it? And then vote accordingly. Apathy to me, not corporate corruption, is the real problem. Mm -hmm. By being curious and probing deeper, we, there's, we have a real opportunity to turn things around. You can infuse something into the circumstances and counteract it. I'm glad you brought up dreams because just today I um, uploaded a new Soul Talk 101 lesson to YouTube about how to work with dreams. So because the the hardest thing for people is to learn how to think more symbolically and metaphorically when it comes to their dreams. So uh, listeners, go check that out on my YouTube um, channel and uh, there's a straightforward, I mean, it's not straightforward work, but uh, there's a straightforward introduction to how you can begin to shift your, you know, from mind and literal to more symbolic. Um, I think a great place to end is how citizens United opinion offers an image of wholeness, you say, which I sort of read as taking back what has been projected onto corporations, um, which maybe evolves their role or returns their role to its original purpose. So we kind of touched on this, like reuniting, but with consciousness, I guess I'm looking to you to help my listeners feel empowered as if they have a choice to make. If it's how to think about this, um, that will also, you know, because I keep telling people your self-reflection is so important. You might think it's only about you and maybe busting out of your own limited thinking. But, you know, if we have millions of people who are sort of doing this self-reflecting, we don't know what's going on and how that's all going to coalesce and eventually contribute to a new idea, new innovation about how to live together, how to work, how to save our planet, et cetera. So, you know, so maybe you have some advice for, uh, for people when it, when it maybe even how to think and not necessarily regarding specifically the relationship with corporations, but maybe, maybe even how to like, huh, here's how you could, you know, just explore, you know, how you personally could think about this topic or whatever you want to give as advice. Sure. And I, I think, you know, I would probably echo the advice you gave about going to your YouTube channel. You know, one could ask, what do dreams have to do with corporations? Why are we even talking about that? My argument is everything. If we feel hopeless in the face of opinions that come down from the Supreme Court, why not go to a tool that is in your exclusive control? Nobody can tell you what that dream means. You know, if it doesn't resonate with you, right? You can get help with that, et cetera. But it, it opens up your mind into an imaginal area that you wouldn't, you wouldn't even conceive of before. And once you've sort of tackled your own dreams and offered perspective for yourself, 
that I think is the fascinating work. Then you can go out to these sort of iconic cultural images and do the exact same thing. It could be a Supreme Court opinion. It could be, you know, God forbid, a, a, a school shooting, right? It could be anything, but you are training your mind and your heart to feel your way to other perspectives. And while you think that may be insignificant, I assure you it is wholly significant because unlike the opinion that has been handed to you by these justices, you don't have to receive it and live it in the same spirit of apathy in which it was given, sort of tossing it off in that cool regard. Um, get action. Teddy Roosevelt used to say this. He would clench his fist and he'd say, get action. By simply standing up and saying, I disagree, it begins to change almost alchemically, collectively, what is out there in the field, which is how progress happens and how change happens. New Zealand didn't come out with that idea fully formed. It actually started with people thinking and imagining a different reality and then ordering their work accordingly. That's where dreams come in. And so I think your advice is sound. Yeah, I love it. And, you know, working with your own dreams and finding new meaning then makes you more alert to noticing things that you didn't notice before, making connections you didn't notice before. And, you know, and I think people have a, you know, a sense that when I begin to change internally, it emanates and it manifests in the external and you are creating space that is impacting even others who maybe aren't able or aren't willing to do that kind of self-reflection. Not everybody has to do it. There's a thing called a tipping point. Only a few people need to be doing this. So I love that. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to add? Anything that you can think of that is like, oh, this is another burning thing I wanted to, I wanted to share. You know, in preparation for today, I was thinking there's a wonderful quote from Rilke who talks about how we need to look farther into paintings, right? Mm. And we need to learn to look harder and feel our way into these things that we perceive as happening to us um, and recognizing that they're actually happening because of us. And reaction is a powerful force. Imagine what's possible if we marry it with consciousness, because our consciousness can't be replicated anywhere else in the universe. It happens through us and for us. That's what we impart to corporations. Um, so I think just look farther into paintings. Oh, I really love that. Like I'm seeing the image and, you know, as I, a lot of my work with my clients has to do with instead of resisting, instead of reacting to be curious. So to be more like, why am I feeling this? And to um, linger. Those are my two favorite words, linger and be curious. And I think some of the reaction comes from internalized judgment. I think a lot of it comes from a wound. I mean, we've got a big fat collective patriarchal wound that you know, has manifested in this sort of um, move away from empathy. Mm -hmm. So we have to start with having empathy for ourselves. And as one of my clients said, you gave me permission to feel what I feel. And then as I lingered there and got curious about it, it transmuted. 
in many cases to something creative, what you're talking about. Like so many of my clients are like, they're publishing books and they're writing journals and things like that. So, um, and also, uh, believe it or not, people do want to read dissertations. I have them on, on my website and people read it. Like, I'm always like, what? You read that whole thing? And they love it. So is there a place I can either put it someplace or is there a place that people can go to get it? And then what else do you want people to know? Do you want people to leave you alone or to follow you someplace? Like, do you have a blog? Are you doing some lectures? Do you have an email list? And, and if not, I can be the conduit because, um, you know, I, I can pass along things to people as well, but I think people want to be informed about maybe what you do next with this research or how you use that as sort of the layup to do, take on another topic. Thank you, Deb. And thank you for the work and thank you for these podcasts. I mean, they, they provide such rich content and help for everyone. Um, I'm happy to pass my dissertation on to you. It's not posted anywhere. Um, but I think, you know, the, it, it will be eventually a book. I'm fascinated by these intersections, you know, that we've talked about today. What does the Citizens United opinion, a Supreme Court opinion, have to do with the Frankenstein story and Henry Ford and Prometheus? Well, it turns out a lot. Um, my next project is taking on Joan of Arc, Amelia Earhart, and what they have to say about the Alito opinion. So, you, oh, know, oh. you know, there's a lot coming forward. How do we reclaim these lost parts of ourselves as women and give voice to those things that others would suppress? So there's a lot to say. Um, you are you are definitely coming back. <laughs> and do you know what? Do you know what book like you never know why you hang on to certain books, but one of the books I like found because I've been moving around is Mary Wollstonecraft's uh, A Vindication of the Rights of Women. Mm -hmm. And I shared that. And there was a guy, a 71 year old man. He said, I have it. I have it. I read it. And I'm like, I never knew I'd have to pull this thing out and say, hey, peeps, we can't take for granted what we thought we could take for granted anymore. So I definitely want to have you come back and talk about that whenever you're ready. Um, I want to thank you so much, Elizabeth, for being my guest and helping my listeners explore an important and complex topic with a depth psychology lens. Thank you, Deb. It's wonderful to see you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Elizabeth about our relationship with corporations. And if you'd like to dig even deeper, send a note to me at dlukovic at gmail.com. I'm hoping that armed with a little historical context and a new depth perspective, you will feel empowered to explore and develop a nuanced relationship with the topic. One that allows you to hold the tension between what feels to be an opposition for the purpose of unleashing new ideas of your own that contribute to the collective. In the description box, you will find a link to my latest Soul Talk 101 lesson about how to explore your dreams. Until next time. I'm your host, Deborah Lukovich, and you are listening to Dose of Depth Podcast. To get updates on new episodes, my writing, and how I teach my clients to get to know that deeper part of themselves, go to DebraLukovich.com. Oh, and if you're not ready for a coach, learn what my clients know in my book, Your Soul is Talking. Are you listening? Five Steps to Uncovering Your Hidden Purpose. You can check it out on my website or get it on Amazon.